Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast, serving up bite-sized doses of delicious and nutritious insight and inspiration intended to ignite your mojo within and add fuel to the fire of your life, your relationships, your work, and your contribution to the world. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat, dinner is served. Hey everybody, welcome to Mojo Studios with my good friend and mentor, Rick Olson. Uh, It's such a privilege for me to spend time with him and also to share some of our collective wisdom. Uh, He's been in the consulting and leadership and speaking field for more years than he cares to admit, and I'm just uh, dipping my toes in following his lead. And so uh, before we begin, I just want to remind everybody who's listening that Rick and I are well aware that time is a precious and non-renewable resource, uh, and the fact that you're choosing to invest some of that with us is, we don't take that lightly, that's really important. And so the time you spend with us, we uh, it's our intent that it will be valuable and helpful and thought-provoking and perhaps for even produce some positive changes in yourself, in your organization, your team, and ultimately the world. Nice, Joe, and it's very nice to see you and very special greetings up here in northern Wisconsin. It is uh, about as pretty a spring day as you'd ever want to see. So there's nothing but smiles in my world today. Robins have returned, the grass is getting green, the golf courses are opened, and all is well in my world. So thank you for uh, taking time to chat. I have enjoyed every chat that we've ever had and looking forward to today's as well. <laughs> You're too kind. And, and by the way, I'm in Southern California, so that description that you just gave, that's my day every day. <laughs> I know, it must be boring. <laughs> yeah. No, as far as the weather here, it's as Tom Hanks said, it's a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And so, uh, but days like today are extra special because they're not routine. Yeah, I think you you, uh, enjoy them more. You don't take them for granted when they're rare, right? That's what makes things valuable is when they're rare. That's a nice segue to our discussion today because wisdom, knowledge, motivation, methods, mindset, things that actually can have an impact on your life that can make a positive impact and a lasting impact are rare and they're valuable. Uh, and so that's part of our discussion here is us together to have this conversation, a dialogue, and find truths, principles, ideas that are rare and valuable, uh, and then pass those along. And And I also want to say that I've really come to embrace the fact that in dialogue, in discussion, in conversation, we come up together with something far greater than either one of us would have thought of on our own or been able to share on our own. And so for you who are listening I invite you to join the conversation however you wish to do that. It might be taking notes. It might be writing something in the chat or whatever. But uh, for you to own this so that it will actually stick with you and have some sort of change, uh, it's going to require some intention, you know, some focus, some intention, and a dialogue, even if it's internal, with yourself to say, you know, what, what really, how does this apply to my life or does it apply to my life? And if so, what small, significant sustainable steps can I take uh, to to create change in my life? I want to uh, touch on something that you talked about already in those uh, in those remarks, and that is the, the, the rare nugget of, of wisdom, of truth, of insight that can be such a game changer in life. And 
when I look back on my own life, uh, there was a sixth grade teacher who made one statement that changed the entire trajectory of my school days and Rick Olson as a student. And uh, she believed I could be a straight A student. I did not. And uh, but it was her belief in me and the statement directly to me about that that put me on a whole new plane. And then uh, many years later, it was an uncle, an outstanding speaker who asked me one thought provoking question that changed the entire trajectory of my speaking career. So you never know when that one thing is going to be said that just unlocks the door. And uh, that's that's the beauty of, of wisdom. It, it comes from many places. Oftentimes it's unexpected. Didn't see that coming. And there it is. And that nugget makes all the difference. Absolutely. That's so good. In fact, I, I just saw a meme, gosh, maybe yesterday or a post on the Internet. There's a picture of a, of a six-year-old kid. And the caption says something like, my teacher said that she thought I was smarter than I am. And so I am. Yes. I yeah. love it. So sometimes it's just that you're right. It's just that thought of inspiration that if it hits you at the right time and sinks in, it can shift your mind. It can shift your heart into a direction that's way more productive or way more fulfilling or way more significant. Um, and so we, Rick and I really do believe in the power of ideas. And in fact, you know, just to go against any conception that we think we're the gurus that have all the answer, Rick and I really see each, our, our role as a coach or as a, a Sherpa or as a guide, really. Um, and Rick has taught me this along the way that a big part of his job is to take a book that's been written that has really good concepts and then to digest it and present it to organizations and leaders, even though they could read the book themselves. But again, in that dialogue, sharing great ideas, some, some magic happens. Isn't that right, Rick? It is right. And, you know, one does not have to reinvent the wheel. One does not have to sit up till three every morning trying to think of the next creative thought. There's brilliant things all around. And if you can just tap into them, really digest it, and then uh, come out with the nuggets and impart that to people, you can help change lives and organizations by doing that. So that's that's been a big part of my life, a very enjoyable part of my life. I'm constantly reading and then bringing it back in a palatable way. Uh, it's very inspiring to watch people take hold of concepts. Yeah. And those concepts change their life, change their leadership, et cetera. Yeah. One of Rick's mantras is, um, well, two, two things that really come to mind that have struck me at the right time and, and changed my outlook. One is that Rick says, as a public speaker, a consultant, uh, as a leader even, it's not my job or my intention to impress you. It's my job to bring out greatness in you. And I'm like, man, that's rich. I love that focus, right? It is a game changer. And I, I mentioned earlier this um this person who asked me a question that changed the whole trajectory of my speaking and consulting career, it was my uncle who had asked me, Rick, what is the purpose of speaking? I'd never answered it. I hadn't thought a whole lot about it. But uh, if I was to phrase what I thought the purpose of speaking was at that time, I probably would have said, well, to inspire people, to impress people, to dazzle people, to whatever. I mean, it would have been some kind of a shallow answer. And he got right to my heart 
And uh, it's like, hey, if you're the speaker, take yourself right out of the equation. This has nothing to do with you. This is all about them. It's not that they walk out of a room and say, that was unbelievable. It's that they walk out of the room and they say, you know what? I can do that. I can do that. That thing he talked about, I can do. I can do that starting today, starting tomorrow. I can do that. And if you reach that level as a speaker, you will be asked and asked back and asked back again. Uh, that's what people are looking for when they're trying to connect with somebody that can help them in their organization. That rocked my world 40 some years ago. That became a part of your life maybe nine months ago. Uh, as a new guy digesting that information, how has that how has that impacted you? Because I know you're launching a very exciting thing, but how is that concept, uh, you know, how has that stirred within you? Yeah, I, I was about to say this is this is really transformative for me because um, it's it's very common, I guess, for any of us when we're launching out into a new venue that we envision ourselves as as the hero in the story, right? We want to succeed. We want to be great. We want to be recognized. We want to be paid, all those things. And and that's kind of the place where we start. But then in my conversations with you, and especially about your purpose is not to impress, but to bring out greatness. And that, that, again, it just changed the way I'm looking at things. It reframed the picture for me. And, and now I've heard that same theme come out in so many different places that confirms what you're saying. For instance, one of my friends is uh, a graduate of USC Film School. He and I were chatting on, chatting on our podcast that's called Good Stuff recently, and we were talking about this commonality among movies that are successful. It's called The Hero's Journey. And the hero goes, you know, starts out small, and there's a crisis, and they go on the, into a place they've never been before on a scary sort of risky journey. And then someone comes along the side of them at some point and gives them guidance, right, the Yoda type of character and brings out the greatness in them, and then they become the hero. And so, and then another friend of mine, Robert Bradford, he says, so Joe, as you're, as you're, even as you're marketing your new um, possibilities, as you're marketing your new business, remember that what people really want is they don't want you to be the hero, although they may think that's what they want. What they really want is they want to be the hero. So my job isn't to be Luke Skywalker or Han Solo. My job is to be Yoda, where people can come to me and I can see the greatness in them and encourage them and give them guidance along the way and then get, let them do their thing and do it really well. And, and that's really what success should look like for me anyway. I like that. And I uh, that, that resonates 100% with me. I, I've always loved the uh, little phrase that says, if you help enough people reach their goals, you will be very successful. And uh, if if you are setting other people up for success, if they are becoming the hero, you really don't have to worry about yourself. You're going to be just fine. And so the people that struggle with life always try to put the spotlight back on themselves. You know, who's going to help me? Who's going to build my dream? Who's going to come alongside and give me the the the, the, the start, the opening that I need? And those people struggle a lot with life. But those who just start focusing on others, I'm going to help you reach your goals. I'm going to help you be successful. Those people become wildly successful. 
Absolutely. And for those who know Rick and I already, you'll know that both of us, uh, a deep uh, and important part of our identity is our faith, specifically our faith in Christ. And so the Bible is, is a guide for us as to, you know, what does life, what can life really look like? What is our the possibilities for life? And there's even that really important baseline thread in Jesus' teachings that says, if you're going to be the greatest, then you got to be the servant of all. Now that that goes against everything in my nature, that goes against my culture, that goes against my teachings, all that kind of stuff. But it really is the truth. And this is kind of what I spoke about on Easter, is that um, if it's about me and it's, you know, if I'm going to step on the heads of other people to get to my greatness, then I just leave a trail of dead bodies behind me. But if, if, if I make someone else succeed, and as a result, I find fulfillment and meaning and success in a different way, right? This is a different kind of success that's really far more powerful. And all the, like you said, all the other stuff will come along if I'm willing to say, it's not about me, it's about you. How can I help you? How can I let you figure out how to uh, do it your way on your own, but with these really important principles that will help you? And then even I know for sure, no doubt that at the very least, these people are going to be extremely grateful, extremely loyal. They're going to be the best PR I could ever get because they're going to say, yeah, Joe and Rick showed up in my life and it wasn't about them. It was about me and my life has gone a whole another trajectory and miles farther and faster than I ever thought it would be. And, and so I love the guys, right? It's an understanding of what, of what true leadership is really all about. And uh, true leadership is not about position. It's not about title. It's not about power. It is mainly about influence. And uh, there are people who have no title whatsoever, and yet they've left a major impact on this world. And uh, one of the ones that always comes to mind for me is Mother Teresa. Four foot ten, stoop shoulder. Absolutely, yes. Weather beaten, uh, lived in obscurity, Calcutta, India no title, no position whatsoever. And yet she spoke before the United Nations. She spoke at the United States National Prayer Breakfast. She spoke to world leaders. And at the time of her death, she was considered one of the two most influential women on the planet. Nothing in her said, look at me. It was all about serving, giving, uh, relieving pain in others. That's her whole life. And uh, so she had a huge impact on everyone's life. It is more about influence than it is title and position. In fact, as I was thinking more and more about Jesus' example, so at the Last Supper, he stoops down to wash the feet of his disciples. So here's, here's a rabbi. He's got high status and high prestige in his own society, and he would never, ever be required nor even considered to do washing of feet, because you imagine in those times, they're wearing sandals all the time. The streets there's no pavement, and there's probably open sewage flowing down the streets at some point, you know, because there's no modern plumbing. So all of that to say, you can imagine what a nasty job that would be to wash someone's feet. So Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, the, the highly respected one, the leader of leaders, chooses on his own. He wasn't forced to, you know, agenda or other than serving the people that were following him. <laughs> and I, I can so resonate with Peter who goes like, Oh no, you can't do that. You're the leader. Don't do that. You know, I'll wash your feet. And and Jesus stops him and he says, This is really important. You got to get this. This is where greatness lies, is is in the service of others. That's what makes you great. And and what what point has even come to me since I 
thought about that at Easter was that's available to everybody. You know, I think there's something in us that says, you know, how much power and influence do I have is based on my status, my position, my title in the organization. Have I been promoted, recognized, all that kind of stuff. Jesus flips all that. He says, right. the least among you, the most invisible, the least likely, the least, you know, touted or influencers in your society. You can do this. Everybody can do this. Everybody can serve somebody else. Yeah, it was an amazing, an amazing life he lived. And uh, 33 years, every part of his life spoke that same message all the way from uh, his very beginning, uh, born in a stable, uh, no bed, born in a manger. What is a manger? It's a place where you feed animals. Uh, so the very place that the animals would have eaten their food, that's where he was laid. Uh, who came to celebrate this great birth, uh, the lowliest of the low, the shepherds came. And right from the beginning, Everything about him just spoke of, I am not here to draw attention to myself. This is not about me. This is not about, this is not about my greatness. This is not about my power and awesomeness. I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I'm going to live out and show you what it's like to truly love, to truly serve, and to truly be available for everyone, every strata of society. I've come for all of them. Nobody's excluded and nobody's going to be intimidated by my life and nobody's going to feel like they're on the outside looking in. Uh, so, yeah, it happened right from birth in Bethlehem all the way through. An incredible example for you and I to follow. Yeah, you mentioned Mother Teresa and you probably know this, but my listeners might not, that in 1990, I joined a international touring group as a trumpet player. Uh, sharing concerts and gospel concerts around the world. And the first country we visited was India. And on my birthday in 1990, when I turned 24, we met Mother Teresa in her home convent in Calcutta. Uh, we sang for the sisters that were there that day and then had a private audience with her. And just as you described, here I am in the presence of Mother Teresa, which, of course, from a distance... She's like a larger-than-life superhero, even though her the reality is that she's <laughs> four foot tall. Yeah. I mean, she was barefooted that day, as I think she often was, and her feet are just gnarled. Her toes are like pretzels wrapped around each other, and, and there's nothing exterior about her that would say, this is greatness. I'm in the presence of greatness, but we were, and there was no doubt that this is, this is a person whose greatness was not defined as the world defines it. Her influence was unparalleled, as you said. But why? Because she abandoned everything, including, including you know, she took a vow of poverty and lived by that. Right. And yet with no resources that we think are necessary to make a difference in this world, with none of that, other than her faith in God and her, her deep-seated, deep-rooted belief that service is the way uh, that, that makes life good and powerful and important and makes a difference in people's lives. She became, like you said, one of the most influential people of her time, perhaps of all time. And then, you know, on that same tour, seven weeks in India, we fly to Luxembourg and then we go to Italy and we got to do a concert in the Vatican in the Pope's chapel with Pope John Paul II in attendance. So the Pope comes in and everybody stands, you know, and the awe and the reverence and the pomp and the circumstance and the the beautiful palatial 
uh, surroundings. I mean, it's it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum of Mother Teresa, Pope John Paul II. And yet, here, here's what I, I think I had kind of had a prejudgment that, well, that's not what greatness is like because Mother Teresa is what greatness is like. And I was challenged that day because the Pope, in spite of all of the power and prestige and trappings, he's wearing just a, a simple white robe and he sits down in the chair, which was looks like, you know, the chair for the king. And he, But he shares a message about how if you're going to follow Christ, then you need the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, guiding you along the way. And to, you know, to put this back to the coach and Sherpa idea, who's, who's better to guide us in this path than the Spirit of God? And then he does the same message in seven different languages without a translator on his own. And so afterwards, he comes over to greet us because we had done music during the, during the Mass. And I'm on the third row. So there's two rows of people right before me. And then the Pope's walking in front of that third row. And I'm reaching through for all I can, hoping that maybe somehow I right. can touch the Pope. Because, you know, I grew up in a Catholic school sure. school where this was this is the closest thing I was ever going to get get to God. Right? I wanted right. to touch him and touch the ring and all that kind of stuff. But But the most important thing I got from all of that was here's the opposite ends of the spectrum, Mother Teresa and the Pope. And I got to meet them all within a matter of weeks. And although they had the complete opposite set of resources, the truth that life is not about me, it's about those I serve, and that the guidance of God's Spirit and the guidance that you need to to do that is available to all, regardless of status. You had an amazing, uh, amazing journey there, Joe. Uh, and I've I've been blessed to meet some some great people, but uh, I'd be hard pressed to put back to back that combination, Mother Teresa and the Pope. Uh, that is that is quite amazing. But I am I am really glad you got to you got to see, hear, touch, feel that whole experience. That the greatness isn't in the uh, the title, and it's not in the trappings, and it's not in all these things. It's the heart of the person. Uh, that that made them great, and whether they were blessed with uh, monetary things or not, still the heart was open, and the heart was a heart of love, a heart of service, a heart of giving. And so, for you and I in life, if we're if we're blessed with finances, well, we can bless many people. Uh, if we are not, we are not limited in any way. The lives that we can touch, impact. And, and help along the way. Yeah, and in fact, I would say in my travels, and I've been to 30 foreign countries and all 50 states, that one observation that's held true almost everywhere in the world is that the wealth and possessions of a person had absolutely no correlation with their love and or generosity or lack thereof. Yeah. So I have been hosted in homes around the world who our group came in, and, you know, they volunteered to take one or two musicians into their home, feed them a meal, give them a bed for the night and send them on their way the next day. And so I've stayed in beautiful, ridiculously expensive homes in Monaco. And I've stayed in super humble, tiny cramped apartment in Bulgaria and everything in between. I've been in Africa and I've been in India and I've, I've seen what I've seen is that love is not at all a reflection of possessions or power or status or prestige or all the things that we strive for. And of course, the more 
I felt that people cared about me, the more I wanted to love them back, the more rich the experience was, the more I appreciated, you know, for instance, this one couple in Bulgaria, they had hardly anything, little tiny apartment there. When I took a shower that where there was no shower, it was just like a big wooden bucket in the bathroom and you sat and you rinsed yourself off, which I'd never done before. So I took it as an adventure, but they fed, they fed us dinner, uh, me and my friend, and it was wrapped grape leaves. First time I'd ever had these. And so they served us and we were waiting politely for them to join us for dinner. And they just sat there with nothing in front of them. And I said, Hey, uh, you know, normally we would wait for you. Are you going to eat with us? And they said, Oh no, this is all we have. They'd taken what little they had and they wrapped it up and they served us and at the expense of not having any for themselves and they wouldn't have it any other way. It wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I have to give away what I have to these stupid, you know, tourists. It was, here's people who have come to to bring something to me and I want to give something in return. Even if that means I have to skip a meal. And I was like, Oh, Holy smokes. What a humbling experience. That's it's, uh, it's 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 biblical. Life changing. Yeah, it is. Wow. That is amazing. So, Rick, let's turn the corner here. Let's modernize this whole concept because I think it might be easy for listeners to kind of discount this like, yeah, that was Jesus and that was then and that was whatever. But you and I both know that one of the big threads in organizational development and leadership development is called emotional intelligence, right? And this is basically. Uh, instead of measuring a person's leadership skills by their IQ, their intelligence, it's it's measuring them based on their EQ, their emotional intelligence, which which is really about empathy and understanding. It's it's a soft skill, and yet can be far more effective and influential than the smartest person in the room concept. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely, and it, it's a fascinating thing to study. I'm studying more and more. I'm just really continuously drawn back to the subject. I think we've all seen that very intelligent person that the company hired and everybody raved about how smart they were when they first arrived. And, uh, you know, they maybe uh, exceeded goals early on. They were very smart. And yet two, three years later, they're on the way out the door. Is is it because they couldn't do the job? No. It's because they weren't smart? No. It's because they couldn't connect. They couldn't get along with people. Their high, their IQ was off the charts. Their EQ was subpar. People get hired for their IQ. They get fired for their EQ. You know, it's like if you if you can't connect with people and know yes. how to talk to people and how to give them information, you're not going to have a very good career. And I think it should give a whole lot of people hope. You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to be a rising star in the organization. If you can understand how to read people and then how to best give them information, you can become a rock star in your own organization by doing so. Right. So you can imagine, let's take the concept that we've already touched on, on coaching and guiding versus, you know, being the hero in the story, helping others become the hero. So if you really embrace that and you take on the role of guide, mentor, coach, Sherpa, however you want to call that, combined with emotional intelligence that has high empathy and high understanding, then that can be such a powerful leadership example. Now, so that people see that this has become a really important and basically universal principle, uh, I want to 
retell a story that I saw Simon Sinek on a video who people you know adore. And I, I adore him. I think he's got, he's brilliant. But he talked about how he interviewed uh, the highest level of leadership in the uh, SEAL Team Six or something, the highest of the highest, the best of the best. And, you know, it's really hard to get into that team. And he started asking, okay, so how do you identify a good leader? And how do you make decisions about who should be in charge and who isn't? And these kind of questions. And again, this is one of the world's most well-oiled machines, the, the best producer of leaders, the most efficient teams in the world in this organization, the, the highest level of the highs. As he described, he says there's two axes. This is what he was told. There's two axes. There's there's an up and down axis that is all about IQ and skills. So you're really good at what you do and you know how to do it. And, you know, you're the, you are the best of the best in terms of performance. And then there's a scale, the horizontal scale, which is which is the soft skills of empathy and understanding and compassion and that kind of stuff. And he said, <laughs> they made it very clear that if the leadership generally in most organizations is the one who's got the most skills, the most training, they're the smartest in the room, and that's how we promote people. And he said, but if you start polling people in any organization and you say, okay, off the record, um, who has the best skills, you know, and they'll, they'll point to that one person that's got really all the best training and they're the smartest. And they'll say, but who's the person that you would go to if you needed help? <laughs> Not this person. Right. It's the person on this other scale who everybody wants to talk to. You know, they gravitate towards their office and they chat around on breaks because this person listens and they understand and they care. And they may not have all of the same training or background or, you know, uh, opportunities as the person the leader. And he said, so what they told him in this high level organization is that if you have to choose, if you have to pick one, if you have to cut back, don't lose the guy that everybody loves, even if his skills aren't quite as high. Get rid of the guy up here because in his worlds, this guy, everybody would say, is the is the a-hole. <laughs> he's the guy like, yeah. yeah, he's the best, but I would never want to I would never want to be around him, right? And of course, humans humans are all over the scale, but you can see where this is going, that the people that have influence because they care are far more valuable to an organization than the people that have influence because of their title or their power or their skills. Now, have you seen that in real life as well? I have, and I, you know, John Maxwell does such uh, such a great job on talking about the the soft skills of leadership. One of his concepts is you have to touch a person's heart before you touch their head, and the head would have to do with IQ, and the heart has everything to do with EQ. And he's basically saying you have to be a strong EQ person if you hope to ever get their head to follow where you're going. I work with a CEO down in Texas. She has 75 employees. And when they have a birthday, she makes them a cheesecake. So she's making 1.5 cheesecakes every week all year long because everybody gets a cheesecake on their birthday. How do they feel about the CEO? They'd walk through a fire for her. Okay. I mean, what CEO makes cheesecakes for all their employees? Uh, But she's figured it out. She's touched their heart. She's got their head. She has created something very dynamic there uh, simply by by heart. I used to work with lots and lots and lots of clients. I've really limited the scope, the number of clients I work with. I work with fewer clients today than I did years ago. I just work a lot more deeply with clients 
And so I have clients I worked with five years, eight years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. And uh, it's been some of the most gratifying work I've ever done. For example, one of them where for 10 years now, we've emphasized emotional intelligence, developing people, building their confidence, coaching them, mentoring them. That company out of 7,700 companies that do what they do, they were just voted by Forbes as the number one company in America. What's their advantage? Yeah. They're, the best, they're the best EQ people I know. They're the best builders of people I know. Uh, I have a concrete company I work with in Texas. They built the biggest concrete company in Texas. How are they doing it? EQ. They're absolutely pouring life into every one of their employees, coaching them, developing them, mentoring them. And they're watching their employees rise up as leaders and be heroes. And so they're coming to grips with how powerful it is when you do capture somebody's heart. You're going to fully get their head and then watch out world when that happens. Yeah, this is oh, this is beautiful. I I came across a quote just recently from Marty Moran, who's the CEO and founder of Chipotle. And we all know that Chipotle is, you know, a huge success story in the world of restaurants and and really have transformed a lot of the way restaurants deliver their products. So Marty posted this quote I, I came across and it says, "Building a business means harnessing the beauty, wisdom, and talent of human beings. Building a business means harnessing the beauty, wisdom, and talent of human beings. That's emotional intelligence, right? Yeah, it is. So I, I posted this on a group of mine that I'm in. I posted this on a, a Facebook group of mine, and and all the replies were, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Except for this one post that said, well, that sounds good, but if you've ever been in a Fortune 500 company, you'll find none of that. If these are places that just grind people's souls to dust. I think there's a truth there, right, though, is that, un unfortunately, we live in a world where the model is promote the most skilled and intelligent person, regardless of whether or not they have any empathy. Um, but we're finding new models all the time. And some of the most successful people in the world start with, how can I provide a service? How can I solve a problem? How can I bring... Uh, healing to someone's pain, and and the you know the biggest thinkers do that on a global scale, the Steve Jobs and the Elon Musk and those kind of things. But but even when you dig deep into what they're saying, they weren't building a business for to build their kingdom, to build their success. They were trying to solve a global problem, make people's lives better, and as a result, of course, they were rewarded handsomely. I've worked with some Fortune 500 companies, not a lot of them. I uh, I'm oftentimes working with small business. And um, I've talked to a lot of people from Fortune 500 companies. I've talked to people from a lot of large corporations. And when I describe life in the uh, small business arena where emotional intelligence reigns, uh, they're very envious. They're, they're, they're very much wishing that they could experience that, that they could be a part of that. We're all wired for it. We, we want to know that our life counts, that it's meaningful, that we're appreciated, that we're recognized. We can contribute. We can be a part of a team. Uh, it brings the very best out of us. So, you know, hats off to those who made the Fortune 500 list. Kudos to you. Uh, and yet, as great as that achievement is, if, if they would focus on this, 
even they could go to a whole new level and a whole new whole new realm. So, and, and there are companies that do. I I work closely with the Ritz Carlton, yeah. Disney. These people do get it that you know you do the way you treat your employee is the way they are going to treat their customer. So we're uh, we're going to give first class service to our own employees. And there are there are several who have figured that out as well. Yeah, and I think uh, to kind of draw this discussion to a close, I want to challenge the notion, and I do this often in my own life, of either or, that this is not an either or proposition. It's a both and, to use the good to great proposition. That I think we we tend to default to, well, either you can be successful or significant, right? Either you can be a Fortune 500 company or you can have emotional intelligence. And what we're saying, what Rick and I are saying is that in real life, in real time, you can have both. You just got to redefine what does success looks like. And in fact, perhaps by being emotionally intelligent, by by wanting your employees to be the heroes rather than you being the heroes, not only does that help the individual employee, which has its reward all of its own, but also helps the organization. But all that to say, listeners, challenge the notion that it has to be one or the other. See if there isn't a way to reframe it, to re, to rethink through it and say, maybe, maybe this could be the best of both worlds where, I mean, even if Jesus himself says that you're going to be the most successful, you're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God by being a servant. I mean, I was really challenged on Easter, even when I came to the idea of when I stand before God and you may or may not believe this, who are listening. So just think of it even as an allegorically, if I'm standing before God after my life and he's evaluating how you've done the words that us as Christ followers want to hear him say is well done thou good and faithful. And then is that CEO that good and faithful influencer, you good and faithful, you know, philanthropist. No, it's well done thou good and faithful servant. Oh man. Well, if I'm not, if I'm not acting as a servant, if I'm not being a servant, then I'm never going to hear those words. So there's, I mean, this, it's again, it's this rich both and discussion that I can be a servant without losing my identity, without being walked on, without, you know, being a doormat. I can serve people like from a place of power and leadership and serve, so servant, servant leadership. This is what we're talking about. Uh, I would encourage our listeners to just Google the core, uh, the core values from Zappos. If you'll just go to Google and put in Zappos core values, look at the 10 core values and see how much heart comes through in those values how much fun comes through in those values, how much emotional intelligence comes through in those values. And then you'll realize why they're the, the fastest growing shoe company in the world. They have created something very dynamic, but they did it by, by honoring people, by celebrating people, by having fun with people. And uh, it's working like a charm for them. So, I think that this um, principle is can be really appealing even to the up and coming generation. In, in essence, we're talking to leaders, but this is very attractive to a generation who's really about making an impact, making a difference. Uh, you know, like the Tom's shoes guy who says, "You buy a pair of shoes and you get shoes, but also somebody in the other part of the world does who could never afford shoes." Right. I'm encouraged to see that some of the bigger corporations are latching on to that, even if it's just because they want to appeal to the young generation. Regardless of the motivation, they're showing uh, that it's not just about them. It's about, yes, you'll get something out of this, but you'll also benefit someone who wouldn't otherwise. And I love that movement. 
It is inspiring. And, and you're right. For the younger worker, uh, they're not going to sell their soul to the company like mom and dad did. But they do want to do something that's very meaningful in this world. They want to have a great family life. And so these are things that play out very well for the young employee as well. Uh, thank you so much, Rick, for your time, for your uh, expertise, for sharing life with me. Thank, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, we really do hope that you'll gain something out of this. But, but again, don't look at us just as the answer guys with the, all the information. We're really here to spark ideas, to, to spark conversations within yourself, within your family, your team. Uh, so that as you grow, as you learn, as you apply this to your life, because if you don't apply it, it's really <laughs> meaningless. You got to apply it. So take whatever steps you can, whatever small, simple, sustainable, significant steps uh, that will lead to your growth and uh, you know get you to the place where you really want, which is success in terms of significance, not success at the expense of significance. So this is Mojo and Rico signing off, saying thank you and tune in next time. God bless you. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.